Welcome back, episode 10. Signals from the deep. And Grant, it's not only a pleasure to be here with you, but we hit a real milestone this time. 10 episodes deep. What a run it's been so far. Double digits. Fantastic. Since we last spoke to you, our great fans, it's been a little while. And there's been ups, there's been downs this season. We're recording this the day after the game against the New Jersey Devils where the Kraken put up one heck of an effort in a 2-1 loss, including a 16-3 period where they outshot the New Jersey Devils and threw everything. And I thought I saw a kitchen sink going the other way as well <laughs> in, uh, in what was a game where they had plenty of chances but just couldn't quite find the back of the net after coming off a road trip that was really like a gauntlet for them um, and some tough buildings to go in and play in when you talk about starting that trip in Chicago and a team that people aren't picking to really do anything this year other than the superstar status of Connor Bedard mm-hmm. and then they go to Toronto play a pretty good game lose there against the Maple Leafs then go to Ottawa plagued by some turnovers had chances, ended up getting shut out, and then against the Montreal Canadiens, and then come home and play a really good game, I thought, against the New Jersey Devils. I don't know if you had any thoughts on on the game last night. It's nice to see a closer game, because mm-hmm. um, that was one thing um, that I noticed while they were on the road trip was a lot more goals being let in than I think most people would like. Um, that being said, Joey Decord, Philip Grubauer, both playing stellar. I would not fault really anything on their part I think um, you you talk about a team like Chicago especially with Connor Bedard that is a, a great way to get snake bit is playing against a, a generational talent like him and a team that maybe a lot of people are sleeping on right now yeah. um, so seeing the New, Jer- New Jersey Devils come in um, us you know having that many shots on goal and really really putting a lot of, of pressure on Schmidt in net um, who would also played well that um that game i think was very heartening to see um despite the loss despite the uh, um the outcome um saturday and sunday i i expect uh, some some big things i love your point about the goaltending mm-hmm. joey decord philip grubauer and i think it's real easy when things are not going your way to immediately point to the goaltending right it's, it's the easiest thing in sports. Maybe the second easiest behind the coach, right? It's always the coach's fault, right? Not, not, not necessarily. Right. But the one thing I am very comfortable and confident in saying is that whether it's been Joey or whether it's been Gruby, both goalies have given the team a chance to win every game. Absolutely. And sometimes it's come down to um, trouble executing on the offensive side, giving the goalies some run support. Um, but both those guys have have performed extremely well and have come up with important saves at important times. Um, Has it been perfect all the time in front of them? No. And and that's just the way that it's been this year. But I think from a goaltending perspective, the Kraken, I think that's way down on the laundry list of of grievances. Right. Um, And kind of how the season has gone so far, if we're being... Um, totally honest. Um, I thought quickly to, to, to wrap up the, the New Jersey game. Mm-hmm. Thought two things really stood out to me 
Riker Evans, what a debut. And we're going to we're going to get into talking about him um as the pod goes on. Um but just a a great performance from him last night. He looked like he I I didn't sense any first day of school uh nerves at all for right. the kid and he just came in, he played confident with the puck without the puck. Um you know, a couple of little blips, which is what you're going to expect mm-hmm. from a young player playing in his first game in the National Hockey League. But aside from that, I mean, he was he was absolutely stellar, I thought. Yeah, I, you didn't see any major mistakes no. that led to, you know, chances or, or goals or anything like that. I think probably from his perspective, the only thing that could have been better is a point. Mm. Um, but no, great night. And that would have been great. <laughs> but the one thing that, as a kid you dream of is to play one game in the National Hockey League. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it can be understated enough about all of the work, all of the dedication, all of the sacrifice. We hear those big key words, right? Dedication, blood, sweat, tears, sacrifice. But to what some people might not know is to make it to the National Hockey League, you got to give up time with friends. Yep. You got to move away from your family in most cases at a young age, 16, 17, and go to a, a foreign place. Or if it's within your own country, a, a totally new area at a young age, it forces you to grow up really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the dedication of not going out and staying out and, and doing things that maybe aren't going to be the best for your body, but always making sure that you're in the best shape possible. Right. And all of the things that come with working your way up the ranks in the world of hockey, whether you go the college route, the Canadian junior route, whatever it takes, there is a lot that you've got to sacrifice to make it to the National Hockey League. It's time in the gym in the summer. It's time in the gym after games during the season. With all that being said, um, just to play one game in the league is yeah. such a special thing for Riker Evans. And the one thing I do know and am comfortable predicting is that not only is it it won't be his last, right? But I think he's got a real long career ahead of him um, with the abilities and the skill set that he possesses. Um, and the other thing I will say too is something I don't think it's talked about enough for players that make it to the league. Is all of the people that help them along the way. Their parents waking up early on those mornings to take kids to practice. The long bus trips, the road trips, the plane trips going and, and parents taking time away from work or um, sometimes in other cases, grandparents step in and take the kids and, and, and aunts and uncles. It really is such a family thing. Um, coaches that they had growing up teammates that played a huge role in because hockey is a team game yep um, teammates that Riker has played with and and just trainers and everybody it, it really does take a village to get a player to the National Hockey League and so he should be proud um, of just making it mm-hmm. let alone playing a really strong game and and I think if anybody he's a very intellectual guy and he thinks the game but he's mature and, and well-wise beyond his years. So um, congratulations to him. Last thing I'll talk about uh, in regards to last game, third line, 
was was buzzing all night. Yep. Oliver Bjorkstrand, Yanni Gord, Ellie Tolvanen, 10 shots between those guys. Plenty of chances, especially later on into the third period. And I think of all the lines, because there's been some jumbling around of the lines Which this you'll year. see with, with this, uh, you know, whenever you're in a slump like this, yeah. you'll see those kind of things. You're yeah. looking for a spark, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to move. But the one thing that we've seen pretty consistent all year is that that third line has pretty much stayed intact. Yep. Now, on most teams, maybe it's a second line, but just with the forward depth um, that the Kraken do have, that's just kind of how it shakes out. And and I think when they're firing on all cylinders, it's I mean, is a perfect third line to have because on a lot of teams, some of those players are on the top two lines with without a doubt. But those guys just bring that consistent game, the predictability playing with one another. Um, so I want to give them certainly a shout out after uh, well, after a good game. And you t- you talk about that third period. It's it's a it's nice to see, you know, that third line grinding 60 minutes. Yeah. Um, and that is, in a close game like that, you want to be able to rely on guys like Gord, like, Bjork, like Bjorkstrand, mm-hmm. to give you a chance. Right. Um, and, man, that last minute, <laughs> oh, man. there were some chances. Was, so. Holding on and, and trying to find a way to just, if only we could just pick the puck up and throw it in the net. <laughs> And it wasn't a penalty, but obviously that's right. not going to be the case. But uh, So this episode, the brain power here at the Kraken, the powers that be, us, we all got together and, and thought, we want to get the fans more involved. Yep. And so we came to the great idea of pregame, walking around the concourse, on the street style. Asking folks questions. We also sent out a, do we call it a post now? Is this not, is it technically a tweet I mean, or is it a I post? I still call it Twitter just because I've I've been using it for so long, but I suppose right. we're supposed to call it X. Right. 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 Uh, yeah, we call them posts. We sent out a telegram to the fans <laughs> via courier pigeon. Right. right. And uh, asking for some questions. And we got some great questions. Yep. And Grant, you were able to curate them all and put them into a great uh a great little piggy bank for us, um, but we had a lot of fun talking, oh, yeah. talking to our fans on the on the concourse. Yeah, just walking around. Uh, you know, I've got my recorder, you've got your microphone, and we're trying to you know stay tethered to <laughs> each other. You know, working our way through. We the didn't clothesline anybody, thankfully. thankfully not. We, we, yeah, we stayed nice and close. Absolutely. But it was it was awesome. We uh, we got our steps in. Mm-hmm. We did. I don't know. We do thirteen or fourteen laps yeah, around, around the concourse. Yeah, as it kept filling in. Yeah. You know, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, just. Watching people recognize you because you're on TV every night, it feels like. Um, and just seeing that, like, delight in people's face. Yeah. You're like, oh, Nick Olchek's here. <laughs> and then, you know, how many people are just like, oh, Nick, it's so great to have you in town with yeah. you and your dad. And, and, you know, we have every Olchek under yeah. the sun here, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was a lot of fun from my perspective. Um, and then just the the nature of doing on the spot like that, you know, you get some, you get some interesting questions from yeah. folk when they have to think about it in, uh, in five seconds yeah. versus, uh, now don't get me wrong. Our, our questions that came in via, uh, uh carrier pigeon are, are very good too. <laughs> um, but you get some candidness yeah. when you just put a microphone in somebody's face. <laughs> that's the best part about it. Um, and, and there were some folks who, um, we're a little bit more reserved and didn't want to mm-hmm. ask, and that's perfectly fine. So hopefully maybe next time we do this, and we will do it again. Oh, absolutely. Um, that, that maybe we can catch some of those folks, and they're able to maybe um, ask a question next time. But um, I will also say, aside from getting our steps in and, and talking to our great fans, um, by the end of it, I was so hungry 
Because walking around the concourse, the smells from the burgers and the seafood and the popcorn and the hot dogs, like, I'm like, this is what fans do every night. I'm like, right. I would go broke just walking around eating everything in sight, including some dessert, too. And we had just had dinner right before yeah. we did this. Yeah. And we were still like, man, I, I don't know. Pizza sounds really good right the, now. Uh, or maybe a Molly D burger. The, <laughs> yeah. the garbage disposal all in my stomach turned on as soon as I started to smell the food. And I'm like, okay, I could go for a couple of more stuff. But but anyway, we'll, we'll jump right into it here. Okay. Um, but, but I do, um, before we start, just want to say again. Thank you to our fans for being so awesome and so knowledgeable mm-hmm. and intentional with their questions. Um, and a couple of them really made us think and have to do some research. So um, let's get into it uh, right now. Absolutely. So uh, this first question, um, we um, we actually found some ladies uh, who it was their first game, a couple of them, um, or first couple games, yeah. if I recall correctly. Um, and they... Um, this is, I think, is a good kind of palate cleanser, appetizer question mm-hmm. because we can talk a little bit about maybe for some of the more casual fans how the game works. Yeah. Um, so I'll just I'll cue it up here for you. I'm Barb from Port Orchard. Hi, I'm Denise from Gig Harbor. I'm Jen from Tacoma. Pam from Tacoma. And my question is, why do they always send the puck a long distance down into the corner? And sometimes it's icing and sometimes it isn't icing this group of ladies were awesome they were a lot of fun the energy that they brought just a could light up a room and uh uh barb who was the first one that we had heard from uh, it was her first game mm-hmm. a a uh, a soccer fan by nature um and so we love to have fans from all different sports coming and so i i love meeting people for when it's their first game mm-hmm. right because there's so much energy and there's nothing quite like hockey you're in the arena all the pregame festivities going on and then all of a sudden the game starts and it's just chaos on the ice and uh um obviously we would have hoped and wished for a little bit better of a result and a win for them but mm-hmm. um but this group was great as to the question yep why we'll just use the kraken obviously why do the Kraken send the puck all the way down the ice? A couple different situations that, that you would. The first one that comes to mind is the penalty kill. You're killing a penalty, and when you are down a skater five-on-four as opposed to the normal five-on-five even strength, you have the ability to send the puck all the way down and it not be icing because you are killing off a penalty. And if that's the case lasts for two minutes most of them if there's a major penalty or a double minor because you high stick the player in the face and they're bleeding then it would go to a four minute power play but the reason to send the puck all the way down is just to kind of get some relief out of the zone right because the other team has five skaters you have four they're going to get some possession established in your zone and try and work the plays that they want to work and so to counteract that and to have something that allows you to relieve pressure so you can get some fresh skaters on the ice, you have to be able to send the puck all the way down. So if you're down a skater on a penalty kill, five on four against, or sometimes five on three, Mm -hmm. if we want to get into the specifics, you can send the puck all the way down and it not be icing. That means the team that has five skaters on the power play, they got to go all the way back, break out, and do their whole shebang again trying to get into the zone. Now, if you are not down a skater it's even strength five on five or four on four Mm -hmm. and you send the puck 
into the offensive zone, the other way which you're attacking, and you do not get to the red line that separates the 200-foot-long ice rink, 100 feet on each side, if you do not cross over the red line and you dump the puck in and it goes all the way down past the goal line, that's icing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if teams are caught, I like to say, in the spin cycle, <laughs> in the defensive zone, oh, like and the other team's pouring it on and you're tired and your legs feel like they're in quicksand and you can't move, sometimes the best thing to do is just to, just to ice the puck from your zone, send it all the way down. Now, there's going to be an icing call. The whistle's going to go. The ref and the linesman are going to go grab the puck. They're going to drop it in your zone as a defensive zone faceoff. But at least by the time you iced it, all the defending players know that the puck's going to be iced so they can take a minute to put their hands on their stick, put their stick on their knees, bend over, and try and gasp for some air. Right, because they can't change exactly. after an icing. That is a great point, Grant. Yeah. You are not allowed to change after an icing. And the reason why they put that in wasn't always the rule. Right. But the reason they put that in is because it's another way to get more offense in the game of hockey. And more importantly, it's to further, not penalize, but to further put the defending team under pressure mm -hmm. to see if they can make a play to get out of their right. zone. I like to think of it as disincentivizing that team mm -hmm. from uh, just stopping the play yeah. every five seconds because they can't handle what's coming at them. Exactly. The the other fun aspect of this too is let's say you're about you're you've iced the puck as mm -hmm. you will, but as the defending player you're faster to get to that puck. Yeah, you beat uh, the other team back there. Icing is negated. Right. So sometimes it looks like it's going to be icing. Linesman's got his hand up, but you're just a lot faster than the other team, yeah. and then you can you can keep the play going that way, and you basically created an offensive chance sometimes by doing that. And a change that the National Hockey League made. I think was one that was much needed mm -hmm. is to protect the players and that it used to be a race to the puck. Right. So the puck is sent all the way down the ice. You got a defenseman going back. You got a forward chasing him right on his heels. Those players are going 18 to 19 to 20 miles an hour. And there's no out of bounds in hockey. Right. So if there's a push or there's a collision at full speed going back to who can touch the puck first on, an, on a possible icing, there's been some really nasty and dangerous plays that have happened mm -hmm. from that. And so now, as of in the modern-day game, it's a race per the linesman's discretion. It's a race to the tops of the circles. Right. So the puck is iced all the way down. The linesman has to make a judgment call. Is it going to be the defenseman that can win the race to the puck first? Or is it the forward? Right. If it's the forward, as you said, Grant, icing's washed out, it's negated, play will continue. Right. If the defenseman gets back to the puck first, then it's going to be the whistle goes, icing is called. But it is a race to the top of the circles as a measure to protect the players mm -hmm. because those boards don't give. And when no. you're going 20 miles an hour in a physical play trying to win the race right. to touch the puck, and um, it, it's a good change, too, because we've yeah. seen markedly less injuries this way. I yeah. mean, you we had players breaking their legs and ending their careers yeah. sometimes because it was so bad. And now I think it's called hybrid icing is what mm -hmm. it's called. And it started, I, I believe, in the college game or the junior games yeah. just to you know protect a, the younger players. Um, I think it's a much better rule. 
um, because like you said, no injuries, but also you you don't see kind of players knowing they're faster, kind of creating that dangerous situation willfully. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, much better way of playing the game. Yeah. So a great question. And I, as I said a little bit earlier, icings can be used to get a little bit of rest yep. um, as well, but at the cost of another defensive zone faceoff. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the onus and the pressure is on the center and the other players around the faceoff circle to try and win it. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you were able to get an extra 10 or 15 seconds of rest. Now you got to find a way to get the puck out of your zone again. <laughs> so that's why sometimes you'll just see teams kind of Hail Mary flip it down. And some guys in the league, to put a bow on this, some guys have really mastered the ability to just get that high flip to where it ends and lands just on the other side of the opposing team's blue line all the way down. But they put just enough, as they say, English mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why not Spanish or Italian. Put a little Italian on it. I think that <laughs> sounds a little bit better. I don't know, maybe right. because I'm Italian or Polish. <laughs> they get just a little bit of spin on the puck to when they just kind of flip it out. They get it through the neutral zone, and it just kind of lands in a perfect area, just inside the other team's blue line mm-hmm. or maybe towards the top of the circles. So they just put just enough on it to where it's not going to be icing right. all the way down. And right. there have been a couple players that have been – so good at doing that right um and it really is kind of one of those innate skills um in the game but those are the reasons uh, why icing is called and maybe why not and a tactic to gain a little bit more rest absolutely and then you know dump and chase is a whole nother strategy you'll probably hear that at some point barb is dump and chase and what that is is basically you've gone over the red line and now you don't have to worry about icing you just dump it and get off the ice so you can get some changes going or you know, you know you're not going to cross the blue line without a defender getting in your way. So you just you dump it in, and you you hope you can get to it before they can. So that's a great point. And yeah. and sometimes if you're maybe not a skilled player that's good at beating players one on one, you often hear uh, coaches always say, "Get the line." Or if you really listen closely, you'll hear uh, linesmen uh, say, "Get the line," or referees say, "Get the line" as well, kind of telling the player with the puck, "Hey, don't cheat it." <laughs> don't don't dump the puck in a foot before the red line because if you do we're going to call it icing right and so that's so key because you see often see a lot of collisions defensemen stepping up or the back checker coming back and mm-hmm. trying to make sure that they get body contact on the player before they can reach the red line right so you force them maybe to dump it in a little bit early all of a sudden it's icing yep. and you get an offensive zone face off going back the other way yep. so it is so important as a puck carrier to at minimum get the red line because then if you get pinched off or the defenseman stands up, you can just chip it by, and then you got speed from the other two forwards coming if the forecheck is, is working how it should. So absolutely, get the line, get it deep. You don't want to ice the puck right. and get a defensive zone draw coming back the other way. Absolutely. All right. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, Brian here, um, and he has questions about goalies. This is Brian from Snohomish. So curious about goalie trends and who we start and who we don't start and how much is that being evaluated right now i think that's a great question because we talked a little bit earlier about um you know the tandem of grubauer and cord mm. and i think it's a good problem for coach hackstall to have as far as who's he going to start and why um but as somebody who's played the game a lot more than i have um what is in your experience the insight that goes into choosing that goaltender for the night there's a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we could probably be here all day 
talking about all the things that go into it. But I think a, th- a couple things that really um, come to mind for me are how a goalie's been playing lately, mm-hmm. recent trends of that goalie. If all of a sudden he's on a heater and he's won a couple games in a row, that's certainly something that you have to take into consideration. career record and play against a certain team now you're only going to go back so far sure but if a player or a goalie has had success against a team in the last couple of years where there's not a lot of changeover Mm -hmm. you're going to want to start them and and i think the immediate example that comes to mind for me is philip grubauer Mm -hmm. against the colorado avalanche now i was going to ask about this is do goalies like playing against their former team? Most do. Yeah. And I know Gruby in the case, I remember this vividly. Right before they left for Denver mm. last year in the playoffs, I, I went up to Gruby at, at a practice right before they left, and I said, Gruby, are you excited to play against your former team? And he just looked at me, and he smiled. <laughs> and... I, I, there was no foaming of the mouth, but I think maybe some mental foaming of the mouth. Sure. And he was ready. And, and he was like, here's, here's an opportunity to play against my former team right. and, and show them. And so I do think that there is some of that okay. um, in goalies. And when the, the Kraken beat the Avs in the playoffs, remember the leap, the jump that he had? That was for... Everything that they had gone through all year, winning a playoff round, and yeah, I just beat my former team. Right. So I really do think there is something to be said for playing against a former team. Mm-hmm. Or another thing that that reminds me of is hometown kid playing in the, playing against your hometown team. You know, right? Um, or any any goaltender for that matter. Get him in the lineup, and some goalies come up with with some of their best performances. Now the tandem. Mm-hmm. aspect of it I think is so important and I did a little bit of research on this when I think about the best goalies in the National Hockey League because we could be here all day talking about it but I just found the example of Andre Vasilevsky for the okay. for the Tampa Bay Lightning who over the last couple of seasons I don't know about unanimously but has, has pretty much been one of the better to top three top two goaltenders in the entire league oh yeah this, future Hall of Famer for sure yeah two Stanley Cups Con Smythe in 2021, Vesna Trophy in 2019. And I just went back per season for him, and, and he is a workhorse. He does not like not playing games. And it's been more than one occasion, and it hasn't happened often because the Tampa Bay Lightning got a pretty good team. But there have been games like recently for the Lightning where they were losing 8-1 to one for the Dallas Stars. I think it was 6-1, and John Cooper, the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, tried to pull Vasilevsky mm. out of the net just to give him a break the rest of the night and say, hey, come out, because sometimes if the team's getting blown out, you just get your goal. You don't want right. the, the uh, save percentage and the goals against average to just get blown out of proportion. Well, and God forbid he gets injured, right? 100%. Yeah. And you just want to get him out of the game. Vasilevsky did not. They were waving him from the bench, and he said, I'm not going. I'm not leaving. I'm staying in this thing till the end. <laughs> so if that doesn't tell you the workhorse mentality that this guy has, and I don't know what will. Even if he wants to stay in a game that's six, seven, or eight to one, then they're losing. Right. But he has been a guy that has started some of the most amount of games in a season. 
and we go back to last year. Started 60 games. 60. The year before that, 21-22, 63 games. Year before that, 42. And the years before that, 52, 53, 64. Wow. Back in 2017, wow. 2018. That is among the most in the league. Mm-hmm. So that only leaves 20, 22, less than 20 games where you need your backup to come in and play. Right. That, I think, is is towards the spectrum of extreme mm-hmm. for Andre Vasilevsky. And there are very few goaltenders that can uphold that type right. of um, game after game. So I try to tell people every three games, usually the starter's playing two right. in a perfect world. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a really good tandem last year. And I looked to the Boston Bruins. And I looked to Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman, who were combined the best combination of goaltenders last year. And for Linus Allmark specifically, won the 2023 Vesna Trophy for the best goaltender in the National Hockey League last year. So the tandem of Allmark and Swayman won the William Jennings Trophy for the best combined goaltenders in the National Hockey League. And I looked at their years last year. And I started with Linus Allmark. He started 48 games. And the numbers were incredible. 1.89 goals against and a 938 wow. save percentage. Wow. I mean, that is just out of this world. Mm-hmm. So you have Linus Allmark doing that, starting 48 games. And then you've got Jeremy Swayman starting 33 games. And his numbers last year, a 2.27 goals against average and a 9.20 save percentage. I think the average save percentage right now to date in the National Hockey League is somewhere in the 9.03, 9.04 range. So for both those guys to be well above that, yeah. and in Allmark's case, almost a 9.40 save percentage is nothing right. short of an incredible season. But I would say on most teams, the starting goaltenders playing if there's a clear cut, because there it's it's not super clear because both guys were so great. Right. And that's very rare to have a season right. like that. Well, and you see an almost even split there yes. between the workload. Yeah. Exactly. And so on most teams where you have the starter and you have the backup, it's usually the starters playing 55 games. If I had to put an average on it, 55, sure. and then all of a sudden the backup is able to play the rest. So you're leaving 27, 25 games for the backup. And that's why it's so important and so key to have two goaltenders that you trust Mm -hmm. and that you know are going to give you a chance. Right. And it is so difficult for a backup goaltender in the National Hockey League because you could go a week without playing and then your team needs you to come in and play really well. Right. Give them a chance to win. And the pressure's on you. So I really think that's one of the most underrated jobs and roles in the entire league is to be a backup goaltender. And we're seeing it here with the with the tandem between Philip Grubauer right. and Joey Decord. And, and we'll almost certainly see both of them play this weekend with our back-to-back. Yes. You know, um, Would you expect to see, and again, pure conjecture, uh-huh. Saturday Gruby, um, Sunday Decord, or... or does, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously that's a, that's a Coach Hackstall decision, but yeah. based on our opponents... You're, that's what I would imagine you're going to see. Yes, and and you bring up a great point with the back-to-backs. And when you're playing a lot of hockey, mm-hmm. in a short period of time, you're going to need both guys. 
And we know that Gruby's missed some time with injury last year. Um, missed a little bit of time this year. Right. When the Kraken had to call up Chris Drieger. Um, Who did well. He did. Yeah. So you're going to need two goaltenders. And yeah. so that's why I think it's so important from a team aspect of it and from a player's point of view. Mm-hmm. Like when you're really confident in your goaltender as a player, you're just thinking about go, go, and take go, risks. Yeah. Go play on your toes. No hesitation. There's no ambiguity in your game. You're just going. Right. All of a sudden, on some teams, the backup goes in. You're kind of like, yeah, <laughs> maybe play on my heels a little bit. Maybe be a little cautious. We don't want to give up a two-on-one. Right. We, we don't want to give up a lot of chances because he might not save them. But I, I don't get the sense like that at all yeah. this year. I didn't get the sense from that too much last year um, no. from the crack in goaltending either. And the last thing I will say on this is b- both Gruby and Joey bring such different elements to the table, how they play. Right. And I'm thinking about playing of the puck, right? Exactly. Um, and, and Joey, he is a third defenseman out there when he's playing. And look, still learning of maybe when not to go out and play, knowing that it's okay to not go out and play it all the time. But you never want to take that aggressiveness out of him because that is exactly who he is as a goaltender. And to have that elite ability, and I use the word elite very securely with him and his ability to play the puck. Yeah. It's different because one example is as a defenseman going back for a puck, if it's Gruby, you know he's probably going to leave it behind the net for you. Mm-hmm. But Joey, he's probably going to make a play. He's probably going to try and pass the puck up. Right. Rim it around the glass, do something with it. So it's two completely different approaches mm-hmm. as a defenseman going back on a puck. So that's why it's so important to have great communication. And as a defenseman, when you're going back for a puck, see the other team dumps it in, the goalie leaves the net. As a defenseman, you're communicating to the goaltender a couple of different types of things based on the situation. You're yelling, leave it, which is when the goalie's behind the net, just Stop the puck behind, and as a D, I'm going to go back and pick it up. Right. You could say strong side, which is you want the goalie to rim the puck up the boards on the side of the ice where there are a lot of players. Mm-hmm. And why do you want to send it into traffic? Well, maybe because you have more players than the other team. Or you'll be yelling weak side or to the goalie's backhand on most, case, on most uh, cases, sending it to the side of the ice in the defensive zone where there are less players. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of these different call-outs and different teams and different goalies and D um, have some different unique ones, but I think those are kind of more of the, the the basic ones that you'll hear more times than not. And so then when you have a goalie that plays the puck as much as Joey does, communication becomes so much more important. Absolutely. It's nice to see a goalie that uh, plays the puck because I feel like in the trapezoid era, um, it doesn't happen as often. Yeah. I mean, I grew up watching, you know, goalies like Brodeur, uh, Wah, mm. Turco. I mean, three guys that were notorious for, they were basically trying to score a goal all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so it's, it's really fun um, to watch Joey Decord play because he is, you know, very dynamic there behind the net. Um, I would predict that Joey Decord will get a goal Ooh, in his career. Wow. I think it'll happen. Seeing the way he I plays the puck. I think yeah. he could get a goalie goal. And we had one recently. We did. Uh, uh, Tristan Jari, right? Yeah, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, which, perfect, right in oh. the middle of the net. I mean, I you couldn't ask for a better goalie goal. The trajectory was perfect. Mm-hmm. How the puck bounced off the backboards right to him. It was just yeah. catch and sling it all the way down. I mean, that was 
That was pretty beautiful. Only thing I wish Jari would have done was was do the player skate through by the bench and give everybody some handshakes. Yeah, why not? I think some of the guys were, were calling over. Some of the Penguins players were calling him over to do it, but he just wanted to stay in his net. But So humble. So humble. That was a, a really, really cool moment. But I would agree with you. It's just it's special the way Joey's able to play the puck. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, it's able to get the crack in out of some defensive zone pressure situations yeah. or out of danger. And yeah. to be able to, last point... Sometimes some teams are a little lazy and late to change players. So it takes them a while to get the fresh bodies on the ice when the tired players are going off the ice. And we've seen it on a couple occasions where Joey sees that, mm-hmm. gets to the puck first, and makes a 150-foot pass all the way up the ice the other way. And now all of a sudden the Kraken have a non-man rush yeah. or maybe even a potential breakaway. Yeah. So his ability to play the puck is special, but it just provides a completely different approach, whether it's Gruby playing or Joey playing. So all of that being said, based on injury, based on form, you need two goaltenders desperately Absolutely. because one guy cannot play 82 games. As we said, arguably the best goalie in the league. His most season where he played the most amount of games was 64, where he started. Mm-hmm. So you're going to need someone to come out, come in, and give you strong games and give you a chance to win. Right. So two goalies on the roster is so important. And uh, that's where the trend is at right now. There you go. Very long answer to your question, Brian, but I uh, very, uh, very thorough. So um, we're going to go to um, kind of keep on this idea of, I, I don't know what you want to call it, trends and, and things like that. Uh, Jim has some question about the player pipeline from uh, Coachella because we've been seeing a lot of that lately. Jim Cockrell, Tacoma, Washington. The question would be, since we are on a six-game homestand here and we just witnessed a four-game roadie that didn't go too well, uh, curious about if we're probably going to continue the pipeline from Coachella and taking a look-see at everybody uh, up and down the lineup. I mean, a good... um, This is one of a couple questions we're going to have about Coachella and players in the system leading into Riker Evans, but he brings up a good point, you know, is this an opportunity for Coach Haxtall to get a look at other players? Um, and, and what does that entail? You know, because bringing players up and down can be a little odd with things like waivers and stuff like yeah. that. I think similarly to the goaltender conversation that we just had about needing two goaltenders, mm-hmm. you need an American Hockey League team that has players that at a moment's notice are ready to be called up because of injury, because of players struggling. And that's, I think, the luxury that Dave Haxtell and his coaching staff have, Ronnie Francis as well, Mm -hmm. is that there are players that are playing for the Coachella Valley Firebirds right now that, when called up, you know are going to be able to come in and do a job for you. Fill a lineup spot, bring energy, but more so bring a professional way to play. And by professional way to play, I mean you know what you're going to get from them. A guy like Max McCormick. Mm -hmm. He's been a pro hockey player for a long time. You know that when he's going to come up and play, you're not going to ask him to score, but you're going to ask him to play the right way. You're going to ask him to be physical, Mm -hmm. bring you positive minutes, make the right reads in the neutral zone, be good on the forecheck like he was when he played, and be reliable in the defensive zone. And so all of those things are what you're looking for. A guy like Andrew Podorowski who's been a point guy in his career in the American Hockey League. You bring him up, plays a little bit on the power play, 
is always a threat to score. Mm-hmm. So there are different roles and different reasons why you bring players up because of injuries to players on the Kraken roster. Or maybe you just want to shake things up. I look at a guy in the minor leagues like John Hayden, mm-hmm. who you know is going to bring that honest, tough style. And if you need a guy like that, you've got him in the minor leagues. And when I go up and down the Coachella Valley roster, you got Kale Flurry down there who spent some time up here. And obviously, based on the depth at the defensive position, he's playing down in Coachella Valley because we want to give him time. We want to let him play. Right. It's the only way players are going to get better is by playing. Now, that's not to say that bringing up a young player is bad for them if they're not playing all the time because I think there is very valuable experience to be had being around National Hockey Leaguers and seeing the day-to-day mm-hmm. of what the grind is like at home, on the road, life at the rink or away from the rink with that being said. Gustav Olofsson, who's a player that we saw a little bit last year, mm-hmm. based on injuries to the defenseman, he's a guy that you know is going to be able to come up and do a solid job for you. We've seen Marion Studnich come in and, and, and do a nice job for this team. Yep. Speed on the forecheck, drew a penalty, and was pretty impactful with, with what he was able to bring. Jimmy Schultz, who is a guy we've seen in camp and is a reliable two-way defenseman, so you know that if you need him. Same could be said for Connor Carrick, who right. was signed in the offseason. And so I think when you look up and down the roster, you've got players that are there that are career professional hockey players that are playing down there, and you can call up at any moment's notice and know that you're going to get mm-hmm. a, a good, strong, competitive game from them. And then there's young guys, a guy like Ryan Winterton, who's still cutting his teeth in the pro game and learning. Because the one point I do want to make out of all of this is the American Hockey League is a developmental league. Mm -hmm. They are there to develop players and teach them the right way to play so that way when they do get to the National Hockey League, they're ready. And I look at a guy like Ryan Winterton who I think has every tool in the toolbox to be a regular player in the National Hockey League but he's just not ready yet, and that's okay. But he's down there learning, playing a very similar style that the Coachella Valley Firebirds do play as to what the Kraken play. Mm -hmm. So when a call-up is made, it's not like it's a foreign land and you don't know what to do because hockey's so reactionary. It's based on instincts. And if you have to think, you're already late. If you have to think, that passing lane is closed. If you have to think, the other guy's already by you. Right. So to play the same way is so important in the American League as it is into the National Hockey League. And then I'm getting to a guy like Shane Wright, mm-hmm. who is still developing. He's still maturing. He's still finding the skills of what it takes to play in the pro game. And he's had a great start to the year for a good stretch there is leading the Firebirds and goals. So he's been off to a a wonderful start after a really good camp, I thought, that he had this year. And we're seeing the progression. We're seeing the maturation process um, come through for Shane Wright. And some other young players, Jacob Melanson, Logan Morrison, on and on and on. I think that kind of is a good segue uh, into our first um, Twitter question, Mm -hmm. uh, X. Uh, uh, Stu V94. Stu! Uh, I I love uh, love Stu. 
We, we love that name. He's the best. 10 out of 10. Uh, which players in the system right now have the ability to be that top of the lineup guy? You mentioned Shane Wright. Um, I think that one's kind of a given. You know, we give him time. You're going to see him, you know, at that Matty Beneers level probably. Um, any other players that come to mind that you can see finishing their career as a top line uh, player? I think when I look at the roster, Logan Morrison is a guy that, mm-hmm. that really comes to mind, a guy that had a fantastic camp. Not the fleetest of foot, but the way he thinks the game, his knack for scoring, all of that wrapped up in a blanket of not being afraid to go to the hard areas. You've watched a lot of hockey, Grant. I've watched a lot of hockey. Right. And sometimes there are players that have all the skill in the world, but you just wish they would just play harder. You, the nervous players. You're, I, I think you're right where you're just like, come on. It's over there. Go it's in to the, the corner. Net. <laughs> Go to the corner. Just battle. Be, be physical. You don't have to put the guy through the glass, but just mm-hmm. put a shoulder into him and maybe you win the puck. Right. That's what I see from Logan Morrison is an ability to make those hard plays, get in the corner, not shy away from the physicality, but then the skill to when he wins the puck to maneuver it and manipulate the puck in small areas to be able to make plays Mm -hmm. and score goals. And so I think the future for him is very bright. And I know after watching him at camp and and talking with some of the brass, um, they're very, very high on this guy. And and I think everybody else should be as well. And and another player that comes to mind is Jacob Melanson, Mm -hmm. who, as we've seen with camp and in preseason games, he's nasty with his aggression. Right. And scored a beautiful goal back in preseason. And he's another type of guy with a, with a similar skill set. But a guy that's not afraid to take your head off. And, and I think that having that aggression right. is a real good thing to have. And that's the other point. The last point I will make on this is as a young player, you need to find a way to separate yourself from the rest of the pack. Right. Do something that no one else can do or do something so well that the coach has to put you in the lineup for that reason or the organization has to sign you because they can't be without something that you do better than everybody else. We need a face-off guy. We need a guy who is, uh, you know, a really good left-handed shot, you know, something like that. And I think that's a really good point because this is a game of speed now. It's no longer, um, you know, we can just play the trap game and, and really just kind of muck it up in the corners, you know. So what that means is you have to have a diverse roster. Yeah. And the the nice thing about our, our AHL team, I think that, you know, we need to remind people, this is a team that took Hershey to Game 7 yeah. of the Calder Cup Final last year. What a run. And that's not a fluke. Right. Like, this is a, this is a good, beefy roster. And so the call-ups are going to be players who are probably going to make an impact in one way or the other, maybe not goals, maybe not, you know, points on the board, but they're not going to be making mistakes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to segue that a little bit into, uh, we're going to, we're going to move one of these questions up a little bit. Cause I think we're in a good spot here. Uh, DJ Manny D zero nine two five. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a really long username. Love that name. <laughs> really long. Uh, can't wait to hear your DJing. Uh, just tell me what clubs you're playing at. Uh, he wants to know how reassignment works. He's uh, he, 
uh, is it the same as the MLB where you have a certain amount of options before they must get waived? Or, or how does that, when you're, when you're taking a player down, um, which we've seen uh, a few times, you know, based on injuries or, or needs on the roster spot, um, what does that look like? Uh, when a player, um, I think Drieger is a good example. He's had to go down to Coachella a couple times, whether it be for conditioning or whatever. This is a great question because it has to do with the very small details and, and intricacies mm-hmm. of player movement right. in, in the game of hockey. And I think the easiest way to explain it is based on contracts that players have. Most NHL players have a one-way contract. They get paid X amount. And if for some reason the National Hockey League team wants to send that player down to the American League for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they have to pass through through a thing called waivers, which is a 24-hour period where other teams can put in a claim to bring that player to their team. They would then, if they are granted that claim, get awarded that player and then their salary and that player will then come to their team. So they just take on the contract as is and it's theirs now. Yes. Okay. Now, it's a risky thing for the team Mm -hmm. sending the player down because if it's a good player, which you don't see that very often, but sometimes it does happen Mm -hmm. where players are claimed. And there's a lot of reasons why the player would be put through waivers and sent down. Mm -hmm. And the most immediate example, I think is Ellie Tolman last year. The greatest waiver wire pickup in the history of hockey. <laughs> he came in, and the things that he did for this team last year were remarkable. Right. And the Nashville Predators chose to send him down because they didn't see what they wanted from him or he was struggling mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons, whatever the case was in Nashville. And Ronnie Francis and, and his staff said, we think that guy can do some really good things for us. And they claim him. No one else did. And he comes in and he makes an incredible impact. Now, the next part of that is if a player has a two-way contract, Mm -hmm. you can bring them up and send them back as much as you want. And they don't have to go through waivers. And there's no waivers. Got it. Okay. There's no waivers. So that's pretty much the the basics of of player movement, up and down. One-way contract, you have to go through waivers. A two-way and these are the type of contract is agreed in negotiations mm-hmm. uh, from players, agents to the general manager of, of the team that's signing. Got it. And I would say there's probably a lot of fans that don't know about waivers and waiver claims because they are so rare. Um, is there a reason they're so rare? Is it just because it is such a risky thing to do? Or is it because, I don't know. Most GMs are like, well, if I claim that guy, then there might be a retaliation later where another GM's going to take one of my guys just out of spite. Yeah, I don't know if that's a real thing. but I don't know if that's something that, that, that mm-hmm. goes through their minds. Um, then again, it's human psychology. So maybe, <laughs> sure. from, maybe from time to time. A lot of gamesmanship. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, that, but it is the threat of, of losing a really good player. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're sending a player down to... Uh, just play more. Maybe there's a really good player that's just they, they're not fitting in your lineup, so you got to send them down, and you risk losing them. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different reasons. Maybe, maybe you send the player down. It's a good player coming back from injury, mm-hmm. but they're making a lot of money, 
and you know that majority of teams maybe don't have enough cap space to be able to call to, to, to claim them. So you play the risk game, but that's what it is. It is a risk. Um, but there's a calculated and a smart way to go about it. There you go. Um, we're going to have one last um, question kind of revolving around Coachella, uh, but also specifically Riker Evans, who we talked about a little bit. Uh, so here's Paul. Hi, I'm Paul from Seattle, and I'm wondering about maybe how many minutes we can give Riker Evans to push the offense. And I think, you know, we, we, we see the, the debut from Riker Evans. You're talking about sending players up and down. Um, is there a chance for Riker Evans to see more minutes based on his performance last night? First off, a great game. Great game. As we said earlier. Great game, yeah. For Riker Evans. And uh, he came in, he was cool, he was calm, he was collected. I didn't sense any nerves at all. As far as ice time, though, goes, you ready for this, Grant? Mm-hmm. The kid played 20 shifts, played 17 minutes and 50 seconds wow. of time on ice, which... For a Seattle Kraken debutee. I think I said that right. Yeah. A little French accent on the yeah. end. Debutee. Is the most ice time in a first game in the history of the team. So I think that tells you what you need to know. Mm -hmm. Is that playing him, playing him a lot, letting him learn on the fly is very important. Mm-hmm. And playing him with a guy like Brian Dumoulin, guy that's been in the league for a long time, right? Two Stanley Cups to his name, is important to support him and help him. Mm -hmm. We saw him on the power play, quarterbacking and running the power play, which was great to see because that's such a difficult task. Because you're in charge as the quarterback up top is to put the puck in the right area so that way that player on either flank has the best position or opportunity to make a play. Right. So what I saw from him, I think ice time-wise, putting him out there in certain situations, that role and responsibility is only going to grow. And I listened to the post-game media press conference from Dave Haxtell, and he was asked a few questions about Riker's game. Mm-hmm. And Hack was very complimentary, very honest. And the one thing about Dave Haxtell is he doesn't pull punches. Right. He gives it to you direct. And he was very pleased. I got the sense um, from Riker's game. And it's so special to be able to come in and play your first game. Because we often see players kind of get protected. And, you know, maybe other players come in, they play their first game, and they only play 12 minutes or right. 11 minutes or right. 9 minutes. But it was pretty clear that not only was Riker given opportunities, and he excelled in those opportunities, but I think playing that much proves that, that, that he's ready. Yeah. He's ready to play in the National Hockey League with the skill set that he has, with the confidence that he has both with mm -hmm. and without the puck. Well, I, you make a good point there. I mean, you you see these players come in for the first game, especially when they're being called up. This is not a Maddie Beneers, Connor Bernard situation where, yeah, you're playing a full game. Don't worry about it. We know you can handle it. Right. Um, 17 minutes is a full game. Um, he's not being benched. He's not being passed over by for another line, anything like that. So, Paul, I hope you were very happy with the amount of minutes yeah. <laughs> that Ranker Evans got because yeah. uh, 
uh, it's probably going to grow from there, um, almost certainly. So, and he just dove right into the deep end. Yeah, he, he ripped off the floaties, and he and he and Riker just dove right into the deep end, and and he was swimming with the sharks. Yeah, and uh, just a, just a great game for him, and I would expect a lot of games ahead, right? Depending on how long he's up with the team. Yeah. I love seeing that we already have fans in the crowd with Riker Evans jerseys. That's fantastic. So fun. To and see his family was there too. Great. At the game, Great. which is so special. And it goes yeah. back to what we talked about earlier about how important your family is to, to getting to, to where you are when you make it to the, to the big leagues. Yeah. And it's having your family there is, um, is special, especially, um, when things go well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, it just immediately reminds me of, uh, the uh, the game the other night where all the I think it was all the Ottawa players got ten minute misconducts. Yeah, every yeah. every player got ten minute misconducts. Of course, the Chuck brothers uh, on op- opposing teams. Grandma's there <laughs> and just looks incredibly disappointed. If you haven't seen the YouTube video, look it up. But um, that's not what you want for your first game, right? <laughs> not ideal. But those guys are not. Uh, oh, any, any strangers to. Uh, to the physical stuff. Absolutely. It runs in the family. It does. Um, go back to uh, to uh, Twitter here. Um, a little bit um, on the um, kind of the GM side of things here as we are getting closer to the trade deadline. Uh, Koki Pipkin. Um, I really hope I'm pronouncing that right. You guys have some very interesting usernames. That's a great one. I love it. Uh, explain the buyer-seller aspect uh, that GMs uh, look for ahead of the trade deadline. Um, you you always hear that term, buyer-seller. Uh, which teams are going to be buyers? Which teams are going to be sellers? What is a GM thinking going into the trade line trade deadline to kind of have that mentality of I need to bring people in? Is it purely just a I think we have a chance to make the playoffs, or is it something more? It's an interesting conversation to have mm-hmm. because as a general manager, you are analyzing your team. Mm-hmm. You're analyzing the possibility of making the playoffs and you're looking around your division and teams in your conference to see what they're doing. Because if all of a sudden a team that you think you might play in the playoffs beefs up in a certain area and you maybe realize that you lack Maybe you're going to go out and make a move to try and beef up in that area as well. Right, right. It, it's kind of the chess game. And let's be real. It all hinges on the fact of whether you think you can make the playoffs or not. Okay. If you're going to be a buyer or a seller come the trade deadline. And that's where as a GM and as a management team, you have to make the call. And when it comes to being a seller for some teams that maybe have a lackluster season. Mm-hmm. You're looking to try and get rid of maybe older players that want to go try and win. Or maybe you realize that you need to retool on the fly or a rebuild is imminent. So you're going to try and get rid of your better players to try and bring in younger players or I think more importantly draft picks so you can build through the draft. Mm-hmm. Because all good teams that go on to have success build through the draft. And so that's what I would say as far as a seller goes. You realize, okay, we're either definitely not going to make the playoffs mm-hmm. or 
we're likely not going to make the playoffs because we, we don't believe that we're good enough. So we're going to get rid of our assets, mm-hmm. our players, to try and bring in younger players or draft picks. Right. Now, if you're a buyer, you maybe are looking for a rental, not a car. <laughs> But you're looking to bring in a player to fit a need. Mm-hmm. And you you look need at, that one last puzzle piece yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, that's okay. exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need a veteran guy that's played in the playoffs. And you're missing a little bit of that veteran presence. Mm-hmm. Or you need that third-line center that's going to go in and is going to play that nitty-gritty style that you need to play come playoff time. Or you, or you need that. You just need one more defenseman. Because you know that as the games get more important mm-hmm. and you get closer to the playoffs and you get into the playoffs, mm-hmm. injuries aren't guaranteed, but they are going to happen. Right. And so you know that you need just that one more D to come in and fill in mm-hmm. and play good minutes. Whether it's a right-handed D, a stay-at-home, shutdown, left-handed defenseman, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But with rentals, they're going to cost you. And for teams that are trying to win every year. And I think last year to the Boston Bruins. You're going to give up the farm Mm -hmm. to try and win now for a rental or make a big trade for a player that's going to be able to come in and be impactful. So there is a trade-off where if you're a seller, you're selling your proven proven commodities and your proven assets Mm -hmm. to bring in more of a quantity. Right. But if you're a buyer... In most cases, you're taking from the future to bring in something that will help you in the present. Right. And I think that's the, the best way to break it down. But it all hinges on one thing, is that if you believe you can make the playoffs, doesn't mean if you're in a playoff position come the trade deadline. Right. Because we've seen teams that are on the outside looking in, and then all of a sudden they have a great push in the last 10 or 15 games, and they make the playoffs. Right. St. Louis comes to mind where they oh, were dead last, you know. Dead last. And win the cup. Incredible. Very rare. Right. But it did happen, and I think mm-hmm. that that gives hope to a lot of teams yep. um, moving forward. But, and, it, and it was trades and, and well, and firing a coach. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, right. you know, a lot of changes and I, I think a belief from the GM that, mm-hmm. no, we can still write this ship. Yeah. So. And you need to be sure. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, you're, as a GM, as a front office, you're, Take in the temperature from all of the people that you trust. Do we think we can make the playoffs? Where do we see ourselves in a month or two? Well, and I think you bring up a good point, kind of taking the temperature. This isn't just one person, you know, taking no advice. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like here at the Kraken, we have many analysts and and other folks. You know, we have assistant GM, Alexander Mandricki. Um, You know, we've got Ricky Olchek, who works... uh, very closely with Coachella um, yeah. and these, this brain trust uh, in our hockey operations, they're making decisions together and, and everybody's giving that advice and that confidence of, you know, can we, do we have a shot with this person? Do we have a shot with, you know, these, this trade here and there, it's a group effort. And without getting too much deeper into it, right. You're asking, your scouts, mm-hmm. yeah, pro scouts, yep. because they're around watching and say maybe we do want that right-handed puck-moving defenseman. So you're going to send your pro scouts to watch some different players around the league. Mm-hmm. They're going to report back. 
and all of this while you're walking on the tightrope that is the salary cap. Yes. <laughs> Can we make the math work? Do we have enough cap room right. to bring that player in? Do we need to trade someone to free up another million and a half dollars to make sure we can bring in that right. player? So all of that hinges on, I think, two things for me to put a bow on it is, do we think we can make the playoffs? What needs do we need to be able to get us there? And then when we are there, who can get us through? Right. And can we make it work with the salary cap? Right. So there's, it's just a million things going on, and that's why... So you want to be a GM. So you want to work in the front office. It's a lot of sleepless nights. Um, But that's why those folks get paid the big bucks Mm -hmm. to make those decisions for the future of the hockey club. Absolutely. Um, We're going to move into the Winter Classic. I can't wait for this. This is going to be absolutely incredible. Very excited about it. Let's start with an audio question here uh, from Tony. I'm going to cue it up. Tony! Right. Tony from Oak Harbor, Washington. And really, uh, how big is the Winter Classic for this region? Great question. I think it's a good way to just kind of give an overarching idea of, like, what is the Winter Classic? What does it mean? Why is it a big deal that Seattle is getting this um, this soon into their yeah. uh, their life as a, as a franchise? The Winter Classic is the hallmark event of the NHL's regular season. It is the Super Bowl of the regular season. Mm -hmm. The spectacle, everything that goes into it. And there's a reason why the National Hockey League chose the Seattle Kraken to be part of it, playing against the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm -hmm. To have hockey played at a baseball stadium. I mean, how cool is that? It's it's a lot of fun. And, you know, the T-Mobile Park, if for fans who have not been there, is a gorgeous venue mm. really really lovely place the roof is even when it's closed you still feel like you're outside mm-hmm. um so let's say it does uh, rain which happens sometimes here in seattle mm-hmm. um that is just from a venue standpoint i think we're in really good shape the so. one thing that you don't want when playing hockey outdoors mm-hmm. whether it's a winter classic or you're playing on the pond in your backyard the two things you cannot have is rain or direct sunlight. Right. We saw that in Tahoe. Yes. The rain will turn that ice into slush real quick. Mm-hmm. And sun is just going to melt the ice. Even if it's cold, it's just going to melt the ice right down. Yeah. And the specificity and the minute details of keeping the ice at the certain temperature thickness it is a science of all sciences and so to be able to have the retractable roof is huge yeah but as you had said grant still having that outdoor feeling is is great and obviously we're hoping that the rain gods and goddesses here in seattle i think we're getting it out of the way this Uh, yes i i would agree we had a couple torrential downpours the other day right now is the most sunlight this friday afternoon that i've seen in probably six days and looking out the window i see a blue sky so i think that that is very telling of (laughs) of what the future holds for for jan one but you you talk about you know this being vegas and seattle the two newest franchises the history of this game has usually been teams like Chicago has had quite a few. Boston, uh, you know, Buffalo and Pittsburgh, very premier franchises, ones that, you know, 
we have generally seen um, big markets get yeah. this, you know, established markets. Detroit got it at the big house. I mean, 100,000 people yeah. uh, attending. What is the mindset of the NHL when they're choosing a venue like Seattle versus Vegas? When choosing where to put this game, mm-hmm. not only are you choosing the team, mm-hmm. which is obviously extremely important, you're choosing the city. Mm-hmm. You're choosing the fan base. And so by all of that, you're choosing the community. And I think to this point, the Seattle Kraken have, have done such an incredible job of marketing the team in this city and knowing that there's going to be a lot of benefits from the winter classic local businesses small businesses but to have it here i think opens a window and those more established franchises to call for what it is with such a rich hockey history in places like Chicago and Detroit and Boston and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and New York, so mm-hmm. on and so forth, um, is very special. But to now open the door for newer franchises to have it, um, I think is equally of a special thing. And, and I think what the Winter Classic does too is it is able to break up kind of the monotony of, of the season. Right. And sometimes you get into the dog days and it's, it's the, the prototypical game, practice, game, practice, travel, practice, game. Right. So now all of a sudden you've really got something really cool to look forward to. Right. And it, what is a spectacle to be outdoors, to bring a lot of these players back to mm-hmm. playing outdoors like they did when they were kids. So I think the benefit is going to be huge for the city. Mm-hmm for businesses all around Seattle, local bars and restaurants and sports shops and everything under the sun. Yeah, I mean, watch parties, um, all the ancillary events that the NHL is putting on. I mean, I've been to a couple of these myself, and the the party atmosphere that comes with it is really special. There's really no kind of better way to describe it as you basically have a party for a few days. And there happens to be a hockey game going on, too. It's it's an incredible event. Mm -hmm. And for the Kraken to be part of it, I think is very telling of of what the National Hockey League thinks of the Kraken and the city of Seattle. Uh, at Schmizler on uh, on Twitter, I think X. that's my favorite name yet. This one's the best Schmizler. one so far. Schmizler, I, I, yeah. the username, I think that's my favorite. double Z is always is always a home run. So um, he asked a couple questions, but we'll go specifically with uh, jersey reaction. What's your reaction to the jersey? Beautiful. It's really really nice. And I know there might be some listening that go, "Of course you like the jersey. You work for the team. Honestly, it's beautiful. Yeah, you've got the great tie in with the hockey history here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've got the barber pole stripe." The felt logo and numbers and mm-hmm. name on the back. I think it's 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 absolutely beautiful. I'm and as some folks who are listening may know, I'm a big jersey collector, I'm a yeah. big jersey nerd. It's something that, you know, I can be a little I don't want to say snobby, but I definitely got opinions, like yeah. hard opinions about Good. these things. And this jersey is one of the the most special I've seen out of a winner. Sometimes you get these winter classic jerseys that kind of lean a little too hard in the history, yeah. and it doesn't look like a hockey jersey anymore. Um, this feels like an old school hockey sweater. 
you know, I've, I've bought mine, I've seen it and it's, um, it's one of the better ones I've had in my collection. Now I, I will absolutely say that it's different from like the stadium series jersey where they try and do, I don't know if you want to call them like turn ahead the clock kind of things. Yeah. Like, futuristic. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't know. Maybe I'm not ready for that yet. I'm a little bit of a purist. This doesn't have that. This feels like a hockey sweater. And so. it is a sweater. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I love about it. When I think of hockey sweater, which I love that terminology, um, it's, it, it definitely fits the fits the mold of what that is. And the last thing I'll say, too, is over the last few days of practice, Gruby has been testing out his Winter Classic gear, mm. new pads, blocker, seen him yet. glove. He's got the old-fashioned, deep, dark brown goalie equipment. Oh, He's got the, 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 the Kraken ice blue and deep blue kind of laced uh, right around the knee area, too. It, it, it's beautiful, and so Love I think that. it really complements the rest of the uh, – the rest of the so Winter Classic It's going to have that old school feel. I love that. It will. I, um, you know, because we can't get away from not poking a little bit of fun at the, uh, um, at the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, I saw a comment on, I believe it was Twitter. I can't quite remember. Um, X. I keep calling it Twitter. I'm going to always call it Twitter. Um, Do your thing, right? The, <laughs> uh, there was a commenter, and I, I apologize that I don't remember uh, who this was, but they said something along the lines of, the Vegas jersey looks like if the Vatican were feeling a hockey team. And I was like, yes, that kind of makes sense because it's very, you know, how their their stuff is a little extra. You know, Vegas has always got a little extra. And I thought that was kind of funny. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited um, for this game, aside yeah. from just being a winter classic and, and obviously the great team that the Vegas Golden Knights have um, on the ice and um, and – it's going to be one heck of an atmosphere at T-Mobile Park. That there is no doubt about the, that. The rivalry is starting between these two teams. I think being the yeah. newest teams, um, and just the fact that both teams play hard against each other. Um, I think the rivalry is starting to get there. It's not quite at Colorado level yet, but that's what a playoff series will do. So yeah. once that happens, I think we'll get there. Um, let's go into an audio question here. We haven't had one of those in a second. Um, we're going to talk to Rule. Hi, I'm Rule Robertson from Muckleteo, Washington, and I'm going to my first Winter Classic, and I'm curious, how high up do I need to sit to be able to actually see the rink? Rule, just get in the stadium, man. That, Step one. Just get there and and go from there. Uh, it's a great <laughs> question. Um, Sight but, lines are completely uh, different. But honestly, I, I think just being there is mm-hmm. going to be special. I, right. I really don't think there's going to be an, a bad seat there yeah. with how they've been able to orientate the rink um, and try and make sure that every fan has as good of a view as possible. Right. Um, that's going to be the key. But just being there and feeling the atmosphere because it is an atmosphere that you feel mm-hmm. is going to be the most special thing. The um, You bring up a good point. Like, There's really not going to be a, a terrible seat. I think it's like going to any hockey game. It depends on what kind of experience you want. Like, If you're sitting on the glass... You're definitely going to be seeing a different game than somebody who's sitting up at center ice. 100%. Um, it's not necessarily a worse experience or anything. It's just, is that the experience I want? It's like sitting behind the benches. Uh, I'm probably paying more attention to what's going on at the benches if I'm close right. by because that's its own fun. Right. I think it's the same way at the Winter Classic. If you're close, you're going to see the differences between how a game is set up on a field versus if I'm a little higher up, right. I'm more interested in seeing the whole game yeah. and, and seeing it from that perspective. 
that also being said, the outfield is going to be used. There's going to be a stage. Um, there's going to be a musical act like uh, there were, you know, at past winter classics. So they're doing it right. They're doing it very well. Yeah. And not a bad seat. For sure. Different seats. Yes. Not a bad seat. And I, and I do want to give a special shout out to, to, uh, to Steve Mayer from the National Hockey League, who is the visionary. Mm-hmm. In front of and behind all of these great events that the league does, um, it is a collaboration between the league and the teams, um, and uh, he's a guy that works around the clock to yeah. to put these types of things on. So him, everybody else at the National Hockey League, uh, and the Kraken and the Vegas Golden Knights okay. are all coming together to put on a spectacle of the regular season. And yeah. I know everybody there or watching at in the confines of their own home cuddle up on the couch in the first day of 2024 or at a watch party or wherever they may be um be with people that you love and hockey fans and maybe some fans of the opposition to make a little bit more uh, a little bit more exciting um and uh, and have a blast because it is uh, to be part of it is is one of the most special things you could do it's it's going to be a spectacle and uh this town's really in for a treat so um let's we got a little bit of time left. Um, we got a couple kind of fun questions here. Love it. Um, we're going to start with Bill. All right. I'm Bill from Tacoma. And uh, the question that I have for you, Nick, is why do they call Adam Larson the big cat? Where did he get that nickname? This is awesome. Isn't that a great question, Grant? We were very surprised when, we, when he asked it. And, yeah. uh And I think you immediately knew how you were going to research this one. As soon as the question got done being asked, I went right into my brain and there was one person that came to my mind and it is the person that uses that nickname more than anybody else. His first name is John and his last name starts with an F and it ends with a D (laughs) and his name is Johnny Forsland. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Hockey legend, future Hall of Famer, the legend Johnny Forslund. Yeah. And so I texted him, and I asked him if I could use his reply on the pod, and he said, "Is it on the record?" Of course. So thanks to Johnny for providing this incredibly thorough and in-depth reasoning for where the big cat comes from, and it was indeed to my original thought. A Johnny Forslundism. Mm. Johnny Forslund was the one that gave Adam Larson the nickname the Big Cat. And like all the nicknames that Johnny uses, he wants to make sure that they're original, appropriate, and that can stand the test of time. I.e. Yanni Gord's Pepper Pot. Love it. Might be my favorite. Philip Grubauer's German gentlemen etc and so johnny does acknowledge that the nickname big cat has been used before a guy that we talked about earlier in the pod andre vasileski has Mm -hmm. been called the big cat before based on his ability to make incredible flexible cat-like reflex saves Mm -hmm. and so that's why they call him the big cat and because he's about six foot five (laughs) But after watching Adam Larson halfway through year one, Johnny watched his ability to pounce on pucks, jumping on opponents, 
scrapping and scraping in the corners. Some sneaky offense in his game too. There you go. That 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 coy smile that Adam Larson possesses. The big frame. The big cat. Yeah. So that's how it came to be is how Adam Larson is on the ice, how he is off the ice, how he holds himself. Um, he is the big cat. I love and it. So, Bill, that's where the nickname comes from. There you go. All right. We're going to end things uh, with probably my favorite question that we got in our entire travels uh, through the concourse. Uh, this is Tegan, who is 11 years old. I'm Tegan Smith from Seattle, Washington. I'm wondering who will be the most likely to get a Gordie Howe hat trick on Seattle Kraken. Tegan, that's awesome. Isn't that great? Perfect question. So for those that might not know, the Gordie Howe hat trick is when you score a goal, you get an assist, and you drop your gloves and fight someone all in the same game. And to the disbelief and the disillusion of many, it is not Gordie Howe who has the most Gordie Howe hat tricks in the NHL history. Really? Shocking, right? I'm shocked. The person who does have the most with 18 in their career is a good friend of mine, a hockey legend, and the current coach of the Vancouver Canucks, Rick Tockett. Why am I not surprised? Who was as tough as productive as they came mm -hmm. back in the heyday. Rick Tockett leads the National Hockey League in the history with 18. And the next closest, Brendan Shanahan with 17. There you go. So guys that played the game tough and hard and were not afraid to get involved physically, but had that uncanny combination mm -hmm. of toughness and skill guys that could play the game any way you wanted yep. and guys that could very much thrive in modern day hockey too with the skill that they possess absolutely but to bring that physicality element i want to hear your pick grant but i think me looking at this kraken roster about mm -hmm. a player i think would if i had to pick a player that would have the most or a player that i think would be good for one the first one that comes to mind for me is is number 29 Vince really Dunn. And, and that's not who comes to mind for me. And I'm glad. So, so we've got a little bit of uh, <laughs> variety. Um, he's dropped the gloves a few times mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. And he's got that mean streak in him. Like he is not afraid to, if someone does something to a teammate or to him and he doesn't like it, he's not afraid to shed the gloves and, and let his flesh fly in the form of a fist. Um, but also a guy that has supreme skill. Yeah. On the back end, second most points on this Kraken roster right now. A guy that has the ability to jump into the rush, mm -hmm. be effective patrolling the blue line. He's going to dive down and end up near the net at times. And so that's where I think the goal is going to come from. The fight will come from something that happens that he doesn't like, and he's going to pummel the guy. And then the assist, too, I could just imagine of all the ways he's, he's able to, to move the puck to his teammates successfully. I just anticipate when I think about him, is a great long stretch pass, a breakout pass out mm. of the zone to like Oliver Bjorkstrand waiting at yeah. the far blue line and then Bjorki gives it to Gord and he goes in. Just his ability to read the play and see the ice. Mm -hmm. You don't teach that. Yeah. 
you, you can't learn. It's just you either have it or you don't. Yep. And Dunner has that ability to see through layers, see through players, and to be able to make a play. So for all that being said, that's my case for Vince Dunn to be the player on the Kraken that would have the most Gordie Howe hat tricks. There you go. Um, I'm going to go Yanni Gord, a guy you mentioned, who will score. Um, and kind of for some of the same reasons, you, you look at a guy who is involved in the play, and what that gives you is he's probably going to get a goal. I mean, we know he gets goals. We yeah. know he gets assists because he's involved. But he's also he's one of the more vocal guys when things start getting a little little touchy, a little testy. Yeah. So I do see that spilling over into, you know what? You're not going to take away my accomplishments of my mm-hmm. goal and my assist tonight, yeah. so let's drop the gloves. <laughs> so I just see him defending and backing up, you know, hey, th- things are going well for us, and yeah. I'm going to make sure they continue to go well yeah. for us. So. I love that. And, and there's a couple other, too, options I think that oh. would be would be more than viable of, of a goal assist and a mm-hmm. fight in the, in the same game. Grant, this was awesome. This was great. Episode 10, getting the fans involved. And, and please, everybody, those who are listening – Mm-hmm. continue to get involved absolutely if a, if maybe a question comes to mind just tweet at us i i've got a little um i've got a little uh uh thing i say at the end of every show yeah. it's got our uh, our hotline it's yeah. got our uh, email address i know we get questions in there yeah. uh but yeah twitter x carrier pigeon um <laughs> we did have some questions that uh, we did not get to this time and we will definitely be getting to them yeah. later um absolutely so don't get discouraged if we didn't get you to this time. We yeah. just had that much of a response, and we're already way over time. So <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, everybody. This was a lot of fun and, and way more successful than I think anybody could have hoped for. And and lastly, I just love the fact of, and it's not the last time we're going to be doing um, the walking around the concourse. Obviously, mm-hmm. it just depends. National games, obviously, it makes it easier for me to do with, with um, you know, normally my duties with Root and making sure we're doing the pregame show and things like that. But mm-hmm. it was really awesome. So anybody who stopped and gave us the time of day, um, whether they had a question or not, right. um, it was really great to interact with you guys. And, and so please um, come prepared for future games with questions because uh, maybe we'll be walking the concourse. But uh, a huge thank you to all the great fans out there who, who, made, our, who made this podcast uh, possible and, and for all the, the great listeners out there. All right. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Grant. Have a good one. Signals from the Deep is the official podcast of the Seattle Kraken, hosted by Nick Olchek and produced by me, Grant Beery. Have a question for Nick? Leave a voicemail on the Signals from the Deep hotline at 206-279-7810 or send an email to signals at seattlekraken.com. Your question could be featured on an upcoming episode.